The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, 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 and welcome to That's So Retrograde. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Hi, friends. I'm Stephanie Simbari. Welcome back. We have a fun show today. Yeah, we're so excited because we have Elizabeth Lover's sister on the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's her official career title. It's on her business card. (laughs) Um, She is a community social justice attorney, correct? Yes, and she runs an incredible nonprofit in Miami called the Community Justice Project that um, provides legal work um, as they collaborate closely with community organizers and grassroots groups in low-income communities of color to provide assistance to changing what's happening on on a community and social level. I was so happy to have this conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. She really gets into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to kind of affect change and yeah. what her daily life looks like. And though to us it felt insurmountable and just so challenging, she comes out of it with a hopeful perspective towards progress in the future. And I just think that is something that we all really need right now and need to hear. So I think we should just cut to it cut to it and then we'll see you guys at the end for a little roses and thorns kiki stay here for roses and thorns don't move a muscle and without further ado here's alana greer so uh today we are very excited to welcome alana greer to the show she is the co-founder of the community justice project and also happens to be my boyfriend's sister Welcome. Welcome to the show, Alana. So happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We are definitely stealing Joey's gig right now because a couple weeks ago, you guys hosted an excellent, excellent Q&A on Twitch around the work that you're doing with the Community Justice Project. Basically, schooling all of us young babies just waking up into the world on how to do what we can to be activists in our own right. So we just wanted to bring this, fully steal his concept and bring this conversation to the show. During the Twitch, Elizabeth was sidebar texting me like, we have to have her on the show. I'm just like, yes. I mean, (laughs) there's never enough times to have this conversation. Exactly. So in your own words, how would you describe yourself and the work you do, you're a civil rights attorney, first and foremost. What even is that? So I like to talk to call myself a racial justice lawyer or a movement lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. And what we do is represent grassroots organizing groups um, led by Black and brown folks, led by immigrants who are uh, fighting for racial justice and human rights uh, here in Florida and um, really follow their lead, back them up, make sure they have the legal and strategic support that they need to really accomplish and the visions that they have for the better future we can all have for the liberation that we all deserve and help them make that a reality in any way we can. How did you even find this work? Like walk us through like what brought you to this point? Yeah. I mean, I think as far as like becoming passionate about racial justice issues Mm -hmm. and did to that as a lifelong introspective struggle and a lifelong like work to do in the world really started for me, you know, growing up in a house that was bicultural, not biracial, bicultural. I'm a white Latina. Um, I have a white mom and, uh, and a Cuban dad and grew up in a, a, a Latino community and then went away to school in Boston in a place that was predominantly white and really experienced the, what people experience uh, of the identity of ethnicity and race in other contexts as being very subjective and started to understand race as a construct from that personal experience. And then that gave me a lens to see how race is used as a tool of oppression, as a lens for oppression in so many different ways in a community, particularly on Black bodies, um, but also in, in against 
all sorts of people of color and really became passionate about supporting that. And then organizing, I, before I went to law school, I got to work for a year with a, a lawyer who just happened to work with organized groups of, of folks who are houseless or marginally housed homeless folks in San Francisco and saw the power of organizing, saw the power of collective action and couldn't really fathom any other way of doing things once I had experienced that. So just got really lucky to have mentors and amazing yeah. organizers in my life to teach me. I remember you telling me that you never really felt othered until you went away to college. Yeah. I mean, like in my, growing up in predominantly Cuban Miami, I was experienced myself as whiter than, than, and, and American. I would hear that like American would be the way, which is highly loaded, but that's the way we talk about right. it. There's air quotes being used. The other, yeah. The otherness of that even is crazy. But then when I went to college and literally my first day was being asked, you know, what country I went to. And that's really, obviously it has no comparison to what it's like to live in a black body, live in a brown body in the United States and walk around the streets and experience the brutality that society puts on folks. But give me a little tiny crack of a window into understanding what's up with this and wanting to learn more and wanting to continue to educate myself. Wow. What, 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 what was the experience like exactly like, like how did that manifest itself to the point? Like, was it really, people would say stuff, people would like, what exactly was the, the the experience of that? I mean, I think it was mostly just being shocked, being really surprised at people's un- understanding of me in the world and what they thought that meant about me, mm-hmm. whether like it was questioning my English language abilities, even though that was really the only language I fully spoke. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's crazy stuff where, you know, did you come over on a boat? Did you swim over? And just being really confused by people's kind of ignorance of just something they assumed about me just from the way I spoke or the way I looked in a certain way. And, um, Oh my God. Yeah. And these were not deep wounds or that was so jarring, like to then start to see, start to uncover more of how this impacted my friends and, and other folks around me that were experiencing on much deeper levels. And then how it was experienced in society. It made me want to learn more and to like start to dismantle that in myself too. Right. Cause just cause I had those small experiences, microaggressions or those small experiences that opened my eyes still benefited from a ton of privilege. It, still benefit currently from a ton of privilege and like from a colonialized mindset that I got to work to undo every day, right? Where you sit, who's doing this work day in and day out for the past five years and even before that, what does it feel like for you and how is your work shifting? Well, I think the spotlight right now is rightfully on the incredible organizing that's being read a lot by young folks, by the Movement for Black Lives, by networks of people really all over the globe, not just here in the United States that have been fighting for Black liberation in particular and fighting for human rights for all of us for generations, but in particular, you know, a concerted collective effort in the last few years that's really been beautiful to witness and deeply difficult to witness because it comes out of tragedy, it comes out of, out of, of a lot of pain, right? I think we're in a watershed moment because of the work that has been done in the last five to seven years um, since Trayvon Martin's death really was another moment in which I think so many folks started to build together in different ways or reconnect in different ways with the guidance of elders who have done this to come before us uh, and laid the groundwork for this moment. I think the reason this moment people are paying attention and because we're, we can talk about defund the police or we can talk about abolition is because people have been putting the work on the ground, have been organizing the communities, organizing their their neighbors, do, studying, doing the reading, understanding what's going on in the systems that shape our lives. And because of that incredible work led by Black organizers, like that's why we're able to be in this moment right now and really hopeful that this time we will move the needle farther than we have before. And it's still a long fight. It's going to be a long fight, but we can take bigger steps forward. Okay, friends, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking about talk space. Change is constant, but these days it feels like there's something new to grapple with every day. What do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) We may be all adjusting to a quote unquote new normal, but it's still stressful and it's important to talk about it and seek support. And sometimes maybe your partner or your friend doesn't need it. Yeah. Here comes the third party. I feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feel attacked. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Talkspace is online therapy that is here to give you that support because we all need it right now. That's right. Match with a licensed therapist from the convenience of your device, no matter where you are. 
Reach out to your therapist 24-7 from phone or computer, and you'll hear back five days a week. And they will pair you with a licensed therapist who has expertise in any specialty that you indicate. They have people trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationship issues, and more. And if you have something specific, if you want to work on, they can find someone who's right for you. It's all tailored to your needs. Also, if you meet someone and you're not vibing, you can get someone else. They make it so easy and they also make it extremely affordable. One month on Talkspace costs about the same amount as one single in-person therapy session. And with Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist and they will engage with you at least five days a week, which I think is really great because something that I used to find with therapy is like something would happen to me on like a Monday and I would like need to talk about it. And then by the time like my Friday therapy came around, I would be like already worked through and over it. And like, maybe I had- Or like it's pushed down deep into the depths and then it like manifests as like, you know, something else. And no one wants that. We want to like move through our emotions in real time. Nip it in the bud, y'all. I want to point out that Talkspace is secure and private using the latest encryption technology to store client information. Mm -hmm. Bear your soul, friends. The bottom line is that we all need to talk sometimes and Talkspace wants to give more of the support we deserve at a price we can't afford. And as a listener of That's So Retrograde, you get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, head over to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code retrograde to get $100 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com. Now let's use this space to talk more. Back to the show. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no pref- one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands of which we have multiples and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. So let's talk about systemic racism, which is, I think, this think it's something that people are just really waking up to in like a sort of shocking way where we could all acknowledge prior to this that it existed, but it's almost like everyone was like looking away, people that weren't in your field. And now it's like popping out and we're looking to like defund the police because that's like the, what feels like the most immediate acute representation of systemic racism. Yeah, I, I guess my, my question prior to getting into defund the police is just like, What are other ways in which we as a general collective just waking up haven't been aware of the systemic racism? Like what are other areas in which you're working to deconstruct and change that? I mean, I think there's so many interconnected circles. Obviously, police brutality and police violence and state violence more generally Mm -hmm. um, is an incredible and persistent threat. Um, and has manifested itself in different ways. And police violence is the, one of the most acute crises we have. And that's why we're talking about that so urgently right now, because people's lives are literally on the line. Yeah. And there's so, but there's so many other interconnected systems that, that harm folks. I think, especially if you join an organization, if you're following organizing or, or just being present or living the life of uh, someone who's living these issues intersectionally right now, there it's everything from, the way the housing system has interacted with folks. If you can't pay your rent because you were making less than $15 an hour to begin with, and then they cut your hours, and then living in Florida, your unemployment check still hasn't come, right? And so those systems are, are really deeply rooted in the same systems of oppression, in the same racist ideologies, in the same ways we constructed our society on the backs of Black and brown labor and the backs of, of enslaved folks in particular, right? So right now, a lot of folks are thinking about, and if you look at defund the police, it's not just defund the police, period. It's defund the police and invest in our communities, right? Right. Yeah. Can you go Let's, more into that? Because I feel like the defund yeah. the police thing is such like a hot uh, way to describe it that I think a lot of people are f- frightened by that because it feels like it's too much of a big swing when I really want to get into what that actually means and how we can actually work to... And Create how we positive can change. communicate yeah. it to the people around us who might be questioning it and being put off by the term and really like arm us with some facts. Yeah. 
Well, and I think before I get into the facts, before like that feeling of discomfort or defensiveness, I think is really an important part. It's like n- stopping, not just trying to get around it, but stopping mm. and like, noticing that. Yeah. And understand why it is, whether it's us or our parents or our cousin or our friends feels defensive about that. Like what is going on there and how to, cause that's the work of actually dismantling why folks who haven't experienced life as a person of color or as black folk person, why we're defense, right? People think about people were trained to think. And for many of us who grew up in communities where police violence was not enacted on us, we weren't over-policed, lived in a suburb. If you're a white presenting person walking around this country, you're going to experience police as something that keeps you safe. Many times, not always, but most of the times. And so when people say defund the police, we've been trained to think of justice or, or safety equals these systems. That's what we're taught. That's what many people might even experience, right? But for, for the reality of folks living in over-policed communities, policing really started in the United States uh, in two systems. One being that of slave patrols, literally slave catchers to go and redeem private property and systems that were meant to keep workers in check, right? Uh, and so, and then evolved into our modern policing system. So we're, we're, there's some deep roots of what this looks like in Black communities in particular, and why it has continued to act out violently in this way, um, and does not equal safety, right? So that, so first, just understanding, like not trying to get around the discomfort, but trying to work on it, and really understand why it is that police do not equal safety for all of us. Right. And if that's true, then it doesn't equal safety for any of us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when folks talk about the, the, the defund the police as, uh, as a demand and as, as a slogan really comes out of the invest-divest movement, something that has been deeply popularized and the work, what I have learned has been from the brilliance of folks at for Black Lives, folks um, and folks like Miriam Kaba, Derricka Purnell, and Marbury Staley-Butts who are doing, and Angela Davis, from my record, doing incredible work, like thinking about this and really framing this as a, a metric of, what is it that we care about as a society? Where are we putting the dollars that you and I pay as taxes that we fund? Where we pay, where we put our money is a sign of what we care about and what we think our community needs, right? And it is a much more abundant pie than we think, but for those dollars that we're putting into policing are dollars that we're not putting into our schools, into our healthcare, into masks and gloves for doctors and for frontline workers and for grocery store workers, right? And so all of those things are choices we're making and what, we're, what folks are saying is the money we're putting in saying it's about safety is not keeping us safe. It's, in fact, enacting more harm and violence. And that's just not an answer to this. And so let's, it's an invitation to all of us, I think, to dream and to build something that does keep us safe. And we know that there, when you invest in communities, they, they will be able to determine those things. And we don't have a perfect playbook of here's the 10 policies and here's the exact way that's going to work. But I think folks have deep knowledge and deep work from going back to indigenous uh, models of justice and going to restorative justice, transformative justice models about how we can start to build those systems that don't rely on policing for everyday issues that you don't need a gun and a badge to deal with. Yeah, like I re- I remember when this first started and I they like released all the graphs of just like the LA City police budget for example and I was appalled like knowing how many education cuts there are knowing how shitty the public schools in LA are knowing the struggles that my friends with children face just about even like can I even afford to like send my kid to school in LA if I'm not like having millions of dollars cuz it's unsafe for to send them to private schools or they're not getting the education or all these things this notion that there isn't any money and then you see that budget and you're like, oh, there's a fuck ton of money. It's just not in the right place. And that is so disturbing because it's like, it's not even about, you know, not perpetuating violence, but it's also about creating strong, educated people who can go out and like add to the society. And that's what the money like really should be being uh, distributed for. And ultimately, that's actually going to make us safer. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was saying. Totally. Yeah. 100%. I think that's the that's so key. And I think the other thing that, that I think has really, one, resonated for me when, when these issues, when I was first kind of delving into these issues, I found as an effective way to talk to folks who maybe are put off by that framework, how to start to bring them in and understand what, what that is and do the work, especially yeah. for those of us. I think that's really important work. If you're white, if you're a non-black person of color, like doing that work to bring in our own communities to this. I think one of the things that really um, has, I've found a lot of common ground on 
is people really understanding the roles we've given the police, right? Like, what do we actually ask police to do? And are they the best people to be doing this? What that looks like, you know, right now, police, police are in charge of the discipline in our schools. Police are in charge if your kid goes to school. In LA, there was a long campaign around um, just getting tickets for people, kids being late to school. And tickets. Is that a role that we need police, someone with a gun to be playing? And, let and seniors be seniors, my God. Yeah, or, or like let, you know, have a transportation system that works that actually lets kids get to their education, right? Right. And we, we have police do the work of addressing homelessness in a highly ineffective way, right? We don't have- oh, yeah shelters. We don't have housing. We don't have food and jobs for folks. And so when businesses are calling, there's somebody in my front step or there's someone having a mental health crisis who shows up, right? It's the police. It's not someone who has the de-escalation skills and not someone who has the mental health training, the, the public health training to actually solve that crisis. It's somebody with handcuffs and a gun. You know, once I was in um, a courtroom in LA for like my own traffic violation, likely speeding, I can't recall, but I'm sure it was something along those lines. And there was a bunch of people in the courtroom that day who were like clearly homeless or very low income workers. And also a couple who were handicapped, like in wheelchairs. And all of them had all of these like really stupid like moving violations and citations. And every time each one of them came up to, to state their case or say why they were there, I could see the judge was like growing weary of this type of case. And so she stopped and was like, all right, anyone in this courtroom who makes under $20,000 a year, raise your hand. And all of those people raised their hands because they were getting tickets for like standing outside of a cold stone or like rolling their wheelchair through a intersect or whatever, like really dumb bullshit. And the judge in that moment just made a call and was like, all of you need to leave my courtroom right now. You're fine. That was a moment to me where I was like, wow, like this system is not aligned with itself. Like the judge is like, I see real problems. You sitting here right now, me telling you this like homeless person that you need to pay all this money to the court is not the point of this system. And it was like really sad, but also amazing, but mostly sad. We keep turning to... Our, our legal systems and to our incarceration systems as a solution for these things. And they're not, they're making it worse. They, and, and then, would, yeah, you're just in a courtroom and the judge is like, get the fuck out of here. This is like a waste of my time. Like this sucks. And if you can't pay those tickets in California, what happens is they turn into misdemeanor warrants and then you're arrested. Right. And then when I was working in San Francisco, what that meant was somebody who was sleeping outside, got a ticket for camping in the park, quote unquote, illegally, had a ticket, couldn't pay it, got a misdemeanor warrant. We had people who were kicked off of the Section 8 waiting list because their warrants weren't able to get into drug rehab programs, weren't able to get into education programs because of these records. It was it was uh, absurd. And no one, including including the officers that they were sending out to do this work, to make the tickets, thought it was working or thought it was a good use of their time or their resources. Yeah. But we continue to do it. And so we, we have to think about ways to divest ourselves from these systems that just, they're not working they're continuing a cycle of violence and harm on people. It's making nothing better. Okay, we're going to take a break because it's time to talk about one of our favorite destinations on the internet that has ever existed on this planet in this lifetime, Thrive Market. Thrive Market is a dream it's like we dreamed it up our damn selves. Thrive Market is an online grocer that tailors over to 70 different diets and values, paleo, keto, plant-based. It delivers the highest quality organic and non-GMO food. They also offer clean beauty and bath products, pet staples, non-toxic cleaning products, plus ethical meats, sustainable seafood, clean wine. I mean, what can Everything. they do? Basically, it's like you pay a membership for the year, but you get to use our code and try it out and see if you like it. I believe the membership is around $60. And the beautiful thing is, and then you're going to get everything $60 that you order a on year, the site, which you save in like two orders. Yeah. By the way, as a member, you're saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices and their carbon neutral shipping is free on all orders over $49. May I suggest the app? Yes, it the is app is easy. A really fun alternative to Instagram mm -hmm. for me personally. And on top of that, if you're on the app or if you're using your web browser and you type in that so retrograde in the search engine, myself and Steph's curated list of all of our favorite things to order from Thrive Market is right there for you. It's everything from snacks 
to cooking items, to household products, to beauty products. It's all right there. We curated a whole list for you guys. It's amazing. And not only do we feel great about getting a deal on our favorite clean organic products, but we also feel so good about helping to support families who need it most. And so in addition to membership matching, Thrive Market is matching donations to their COVID-19 relief fund dollar for dollar. So guys, if you're not a member yet, what are you doing with your life? Get on over there. Go to thrivemarket.com slash retrograde. You will join today. You'll become a member and you will get up to $20 shopping credit towards your first order at thrivemarket, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash retrograde. Start your risk-free membership. Get $20 towards your first order. You will not regret it. I promise you. Thrivemarket.com slash retrograde. Just the best thing. Very true. Forever Rose. Yes. Thrive Market. Back to the show. Back to the show. Can you walk us through, I'm sure it differs on a daily basis, but like right now as Black Lives Matter has a megaphone, like what is your day-to-day looking like? So it's been- And COVID too. I know there's a lot of work you're doing around that. So please walk us through that. Yeah. I mean, so I think this moment is we primarily work with, you know, grassroots organizing groups, membership-led group, you know, among the folks I've, I've had the privilege of working with, Dream Defenders, folks like New Florida Majority and Miami Worker Center, or members of, of various formations like the Movement for Black Lives. And uh, this moment is really interesting because it's a very organic moment. A lot of the leadership of the folks who are doing things in the street are young people that may not have been part of an organization before or not part of like a, an organization. And they're, they're, they're figuring out what formation they're going to be in. And a lot of people are coming out just because they're angry and not because they're, they're the membership. And I think it's day to day looks like helping run along with a number of other organizations, a jail support line. So if folks do get arrested while they're protesting, they have someone to call to help connect them with resources like a bail fund that's run by one of another partner groups, uh, getting connected with, with whatever resources, knowing their first amendment rights, knowing what the, the, the rights they have and helping to make sure that, that we're watching the police as well in this moment and documenting what's going on in the COVID work has been has been deeply connected too, right? Um, we've worked for a long time, both with families of people who've lost their children to police violence, who, police, children who have been murdered by police. Um, I just came 15 minutes ago from an action here in Miami where the mother of Sebastian Gregory, who was a young man who was shot six times in the back because he had a baseball bat um, when he was 16 years old, was paralyzed and eventually committed suicide um, uh, as a result of, of that, of what happened to him. Uh, and who are fighting just for to have some small level of accountability. These police officers are not held accountable in any way, neither in, in the traditional justice system, which I just use justice very loosely in our criminal legal system that furthers this, nor in a way that actually brings justice to families, right? Why do you and think so, that sorry, is? Our systems are not built for that. I mean, the, the way that police and, and prosecutors rely on each other in order to continue to prosecute other crimes means that they're not going to hold them. It, it's not, it has not happened in a meaningful way. And even, and I think when we think about like, when I've really been struck by in this moment is the way that abolitionists have been leading us in this moment to rethink even what we think of justice, what as demanding justice might mean, even that, that type of prosecution isn't going to fix the problem. It's not going to bring our bring our people back. It's, but we need to, we need to have systems that not only will put other people through an incarceration system, not that should not be putting people through an incarceration, but rather actually finding ways to stop this harm from happening and to heal it if it does happen. Can you explain abolitionists to me? Because in my head, I think like when I was introduced that term in like the, you know, in our history books versus what that looks like now, or is it really similar? It is really similar. So uh, you probably, you've probably heard that term around the abolition of slavery, right? Of the institution of slavery. Um, So abolitionists in, in today's context are largely fighting for the abolition of prisons and the system of mass incarceration that we rely on and the, the abolition of, of policing as a concept, right? Um, both in the formal structures of, of police um, that we have today and in the, of the institutions that we have today um, and in the way that policing acts out on people, right? Because just because you get rid of a department or you start something new doesn't mean we won't still be continuing to think of the way that the solution to harm being putting other people through harm. 
And so what the goal of it is, it really is an invitation. I think the more I, when I was first heard about abolition, I, my brain like snapped a little bit. Like I did not process it. I did not come from a personal experience of being harmed by those systems. And so, and again, just like we we're talking about policing, right? Like, so it's like, well, what would we do? What would we do without right. those? It, I can't, I can I couldn't start even to conceive of it, but what, what folks are really inviting you into is a, a, a is to think about what would actually what would justice and accountability and safety really look like in those situations. And people often ask, well, what about what about the rapists or what about the murders? And I think if you you know so many women and femme identifying folks have been through sexual assault or been through some deeply traumatic harm, whether it's domestic violence or otherwise, and I think 99 times out of 100, if you ask folks who have been through that, what it was like to call the police or what it was like to go through a criminal legal system, was that something that felt like justice? Was that something that felt healing? It's not. It's a re-traumatizing experience. And so what, and the answer isn't don't do anything or take that away and do nothing. But what is it that, pe- that we can build in its place that actually does something for that victim and does something to that offender um, and the person who did harm is, is building back that respect and earning back their place in society by, by actually healing that, doing the healing work themselves rather than being locked away in a cage to rot. Right. Like arguably, if the system from the top down wasn't a violence perpetuating system, then there would likely be a lot less of those types of crimes because it's this, it's the old adage, like hurt people, hurt people. And if no one's ever healing their trauma or being rehabilitated, then you do perpetuate a system of violence. I guess like from where we sit, like we're not every day going into like the legal system or, but we do obviously want there to be like a sense of justice. Like what can regular people Say people with a podcast or a platform. Or people listening to podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, people that are interested in healing, that are healers and doing it on this, you know, this spiritual personal level. How can we take this drive that we have to towards healing and um, integrate that into what, you know, what we'll call criminal justice, but also just civil rights in general? I mean, I think what the most, the simplest thing you can do and the, the most important thing you do is support the work of organizers on the ground, Black-led organizing in particular. We talked, I know, enjoy show about some of the amazing groups, Power and Dignity Now and other folks that are in LA, if that's where you're at. There's folks, check out Movement for Black Lives. There's member groups all over the country and really all over the globe that are doing this work. Um, support them, follow them, uh, and learn from kind of uh, from what they're putting out. I think there's a ton of reading we can and should be doing and talking. And it's, it really is like a constant practice to be doing this work. And I think that if you follow groups that are, that are running campaigns like this, you're gonna, they're going to give you stuff to do. There's going to be times when they'll want you to call your local commissioner or make sure you, or write a letter or, or go out and volunteer for folks who are incarcerated and write a letter to them and make sure we're supporting people who are experiencing these systems, right? Both victims and people, victims of the system as well. So as survivors, I should say. And so, so support groups that are, that are doing this work. Um, I think folks with podcasts really centering Black voices, right? Like making sure that the folks you're inviting on, whether it's conversation about beauty or about wellness or about justice, like actually people who've lived that experience coming Thanks on. Thanks for putting right? justice in the same sentence as beauty and wellness. <laughs> I am here for it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I think there's so many, I think there's incredible work. I think if you all would, if you haven't already talked to folks who are doing work in the doula space, there's so many incredible um, folks that are doing that from a Black liberation framework um, and thinking about, about doulas there and like a health and wellness space there did incredible work to highlight people who are doing really deep healing work that are tapping into the traditions of our ancestors, are tapping into the traditions of the African diaspora and of other and other indigenous cultures um, to bring that in. And so really centering that um, in, the, in these spaces and learning about the roots of the things that we, that we do experience. Um, um, so we're not appropriating them, right? So for you, what do you do to support your own mental health? I mean, it sounds like, even just hearing that one story you sent, like that's a treacherous, awful story. And I'm, I can only imagine, you know, how many you deal with on a day-to-day basis. So what do you do to balance? I'm really bad at it is the honest okay. answer. 
my, co- my coping mechanism is is to throw myself into the work. It's like what feels right for me and not necessarily always healthy, but but right. I think part of being present in organizing and being present in spaces where people are really building this work is really incredibly nourishing and and healing to be in those spaces, especially around young people who are leading, because I think the visions that they bring, the way they shed the concern about whether someone is defensive about defund the police or whatever it is and just and just can speak truth and be really, really healing um, in a moment when we all need that. And I think uh, just being in collective spaces where that's happening is is the place to do it. But um, I think that question is something that comes up. It comes up a lot in, you know, as a young organization with our staff and with folks connecting on, you know, how are we taking care of each other and making room for each other um, to, to do this work in the long fight. But certainly have not solved it. We're here for you. We're here for you. We've, we can point you to a few few corners of the internet. I just want to highlight like one thing that you said prior to answering that, which I think is important, is that we live in a time prior to this movement coming to the surface where I think a lot of us, at least millennials, were disillusioned and feeling disempowered. And so this notion that it actually helps and makes a difference to write these letters and make those calls, like... I just, I guess I kind of want you to speak to what really happens. You know, I've left so many messages for people in politics and then I'm, and I'm like, I'm this person and I demand. And then I'm like, who the fuck did I just leave that message? Really? I have no idea. Also, if it- do you see like that to me, that feels like such an antiquated model. Like, do you see it evolving? Like where, yeah, I would love to, to, to go into this. Yeah. Fundamentally, organizing is about shifting power and putting power back in the hands of oppressed and marginalized communities. That's what it's about. And the moment of like one person calling someone isn't going to do anything. A hundred people calling something, maybe it'll do something. But what, what actually creates change and begins to shift that is when we take collective action and we are consistent in moving a strategy that is pushing against power that denies space for the lives that they are in power over, right? And so if we're consistent about moving a strategy that is watching those power that is pushing back, that is demanding dignity, that is demanding space for black indigenous communities then i think that is what is impactful but you need to partake in that in a in an ongoing way like everyone needs Uh, to do it all the time basically yeah and in a collective way right like i think you need to that's why i think groups like like the the local organized groups in la and in miami and 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 formations like movement for black lives and and other folks like mi gente if you're latina or, or latinx person out there check out mi gente is another formation to really be connected with um, and other groups like Surge, uh, standing up uh, again for racial justice that organizes white folks that, you know, really finding space to come together collectively to move this over time. Um, and that's where real power can, can shift and real stuff can happen. I know this is kind of a weird question, but I think we think of civil rights as like what our parents went through, even though clearly we're still very much in that. Is there in your mind like a list or like order of importance of what to tackle first? You know, if someone's looking at all the issues and is like, okay, am I going to take the defund the police thing on? Am I, what are the greatest hits of civil rights <laughs> problems that we have in America that we all need? Now that's what I call social justice that's civil right, rights. That's right. Four. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of working with organizing because like, because folks are putting out, laying that out or doing the collective work mm-hmm. to determine that like from folks who are actually experiencing these issues um, and strategizing about what's the best way to move forward and putting that. That's why I think we're talking about defund the police right now. Right. Because we've done work over years to get together to say, this is where we need to be focusing and that this is the moment to do that. Um, and, and certainly there's different areas, there's different tactical ways to do that. There's different, um, whether that's in the electoral arena, whether that's being a, being an activist on the street, whether that's working um, to defend folks who are out on the street, there's many ways to do that, that your different skill sets or interests can like help you plug into right. roles for artists. There's roles for so many different folks, but I think really just listening to organizing and listening to black led organizing in particular and they're telling us exactly what we need to be doing. And so I think we just need to support that. Right. Uh, they have a list of, that they put out several weeks ago of exactly kind of answering those questions. That's and, awesome. And going cool. Wonderful. And then in particular with um, Community Justice Project and your mission, mm-hmm. what is it? So our mission is to support uh, Black and Brown organizing in Florida and beyond. And because we really believe exactly said that's how power shifts. 
That's how we win in the long run. That's how we get a more equitable world. So what that looks like today is working on campaigns like cancel rent and um, and stopping evictions and making sure that right. protected in this moment and homeowners aren't foreclosed on. It looks like supporting the folks who are thinking about divestment and thinking about participatory budgeting. Uh, it looks like supporting, we're in litigation right now, um, suing the county because the, the folks that are locked up in our county jails because they can't afford bail don't have access to basic things like soap on a regular basis and towels despite the COVID crisis. You, don't need, you shouldn't need a pandemic to have access to basic human dignity. Yeah, and it looks like just continuing to evolve and to follow the lead of kind of where that energy goes and, and help those fights continue to, to push. Do you, do you feel hopeful that change is happening or are you coming home every night, banging your head up against the wall, screaming to the gods that nobody's listening? Oh no, I feel, I mean, I feel both, both. angry and grateful <laughs> yeah. at, at the fact that the system continues to act out. And I feel incredibly hopeful that this is a moment where more people are coming into the movement mm-hmm. and are doing the work that's been, it's necessary for change. And I also think that most of the visions that inspire me are going to take longer than my lifetime to fully realize. Like I might not ever see the liberation that we are fighting for, but we have to keep moving that, that needle forward. And this is a moment where I think we could take a really big leap. And we, and I think people are just look at Oakland, Denver and Minnesota. I think in Minneapolis, well, I might be misquoting third one. Our young people have been working to get the police out of their schools for more than 20 years. Like, I mean, decades of work since Columbine, working to, to do this, and they won that in the last few weeks. That's awesome. Oakland just came out two days ago. I mean, huge, huge victories that have been led by, by multiple generations of young people, right? And like that, and we're seeing those victories finally, finally bear fruit mm. um, and, and seeing what, what's going to, you know, a different life for the, the young people that'll come behind them in the school districts. So really understanding the stories, I think, is played such a massive role in this moment. Can you share with us some, you mentioned one case that you were working with today, but some, some other stories that we can kind of just like wrap our head around and and help us to understand. I mean, one of the, the campaigns, the families we've um, gotten to work with over the years was a young man named Laval Hall, who was um, dealing with some serious mental health issues. And his mother called for help um, helping him get to the hospital um, to deal with a mental health crisis. He had a broomstick in his hands uh, and the police showed up and shot him in front of his mother and, and killed him and never held accountable. There's a young man here in, in Miami-Dade that was killed. Israel Hernandez Rifa is his name. He was an immigrant from Colombia. He was a skateboarder and a graffiti artist. And I believe he was 17 when he was killed, 17 or 18 when he was killed was tagging on an abandoned McDonald's building, chased and killed the taser. Um, the officer who killed him is still on the job. Never, state attorney never sought any sort of meaningful um, accountability. Uh, even after the United Nations uh, just said, called out the case. From a legal perspective, sorry to cut you off, but I like don't understand. From a legal perspective, why, why are cops not held accountable? I think first and foremost, our system was not built to hold them accountable. That is the point. Our system in many ways is working the way it was built to work. And that is a hard realization. So for, for me as a lawyer who's like dedicated my life to being excited about things like the constitution only to learn they were deeply, deeply flawed, you know, yeah. to really understand that, right? And so our, our system is not built to hold things accountable like that. And, and it's a lot to do with power and who is in power. And the fact that prosecutor's job is to put people to send people through the mass incarceration system and they rely on police to be the witnesses to enforce that. So we're talking um, about the prison industrial complex now? Well, it's a huge part. I mean, that's a huge part of the system, right? Like why is it the cops are chasing people down, arresting people right. in these positions in the first place? Pulling people over tracks up, pulling over Elijah Manning in, in Colorado, right? Just for wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, so right? is it and defunding so the police? That's really the answer? Or is it like going one step up and being like, deprogram yourself from thinking that the answer is incarceration and like taking the money out of the pockets of the people who put the money in each other's pockets? Deeply connected. I think we have to do both. So like right now in Miami, the work that folks are leading here, Dream Defenders in particular, and groups like New Florida Majority and Dignity Florida are doing work to make sure they don't spend 400 plus million dollars on a brand new jail that we don't need. Right. 
the people sitting in our current jail are only there be, are largely there because they cannot afford the bond to get out before their trial. Not because they've been found guilty, not because they're a dangerous society, but because they're poor. And so, but we want to spend hundreds of million dollars in a time where folks don't have food or housing to build a shiny new building to lock more people up. Like build a rehabilitation center and get everyone educated and employed and then everything's better. There's some incredible architects, folks designing justice um, and some other folks that are actually thinking about not only how are we thinking about investing new money in places, but how are we thinking about repurposing this physical spaces? Yeah. Uh, in a restorative way. Like what does it look like to turn in Colombia? They turned a jail into a university for peace and justice studies. You know, like there's stuff you can do to actually think about how do we reclaim these spaces and these institutions. Um, and the folks that are dreaming and visioning right that, that right now are what's giving me hope. I love that. So there is a, there's an organization called designing justice. Mm-hmm. It's a great, there's a New York times article about them recently. They're great folks and tons of other folks to, to read and follow that have been doing this work for years. Yeah, you mentioned the Dream Defenders. Can you speak a little on that work? Because I know you've worked very closely with them. Incredible group of young people that came out of organizing after Trayvon Martin was killed, before his name was in the press, before that was a nationally known story. They started doing a march to the Stanford Police Department uh, and refused to leave until his killer was was arrested. And when he was eventually acquitted of, of murder, they staged a 30-day sit-in at Florida State Capitol demanding our elected officials do something, which they did not. Um, but so they decided to organize since then and for the last several years have been doing incredible work here in Florida, but also been a real inspiration, I think, to a lot of folks on what cultural organizing can look like and what an unapologetic vision for our future and for uh, liberation looks like. And they actually, I think, didn't they come to Christmas one year? Some folks, yeah. Some folks, you've yeah. I, I remember Joey being like, those guys are a big deal. They're doing big yeah. things. They're really awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you should definitely check out, you know, another great resource to learn. Um, they have a Sunday school um, where they okay. have Angela Davis and Daryl Purnell, who are two babes that, you know, speaking on abolition last Sunday. And they have different spaces where they're sharing kind of what um, different political education materials, different kind of um, conversations on what's going on right now. Um, that's definitely a great place to check out. If you had like one book to point us to, to read. That's hard. Um, or the Bible. Yeah, kidding. what comes to mind? <laughs> that, that's a hard one. Well, Angela Davis, if you're thinking of your prison abolitionist, abolition, Angela Davis, our prisons obsolete is a great place to start. I mean, there's a number of... Um, uh, Definitely, Maria Macaba have, has uh, something coming out soon. She just had an op-ed in What's the What's that Times. name? Maria Macaba. Put some more information out. Great. Out. Yeah, we'll 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 put a we'll put a list together. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And there's also Ruth Wilson Gilmore, another incredible uh, academic that has been doing this work for a long time. Another incredible person to to follow and to listen to what what they're doing, kind of thing, and read read about. Oh, wonderful, Alana. Thank you so much. I feel, um, I'm just in awe of the work you do. It is so important. And it is like to be family adjacent to you makes me feel cooler. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I'm like, well, Alana's doing something amazing. Let's just look to see what she's up to. And hopefully we can all like take a little piece of that and, and activate art on our own. Well, thank you all so much for having me and um, and for creating this space to talk about this. I hope we can keep the conversation going and folks can really, you know, really get plugged into some of these spaces that are leading the way. Absolutely. For sure. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me, um, our organization's at CJP Miami on Instagram and Twitter or Community Justice Project on Facebook or communityjusticeproject.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Amazing. It was such a pleasure to thank meet you. Thank you. Thank you all. Quick break, guys. We've got to talk about brushing our teeth, okay? It's social justice for our mouths. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't brushed my teeth since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not seeing anyone. Who cares? Stephanie, I'm very concerned by this admission. Today's sponsor, we're talking about Quip. Oh, okay. Obviously, I have a Quip and I'm using it. I'm just joking. (laughs) I just like the idea of seeing how long you could go without brushing your teeth. You know, 75% of us use old worn out bristles that are ineffective and even more people forget to floss 
daily. You know, sometimes I go into people's bathrooms and I take a look around. And when I see a mm-hmm. smashed up toothbrush, it makes me real sad. It's cool because with Quip, I don't have to push down and be a psycho. I know how hard to go because it's doing it for me with its sensitive sonic vibration technology. For those of you who might be new to the Vasco Retrograde Party, we are talking about Quip electric toothbrushes Mm -hmm. with their 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute routine. And there's even a sized-down version for the little one in your life. So they will send you every three months for just $5 a new brush head so, so that no one will ever be in your bathroom judging you for being gross. Yeah. And you'll really my goal of my bathroom. Same. You guys quip brush head, toothpaste and floss refills are also automatically delivered, which I also love because flossing is a really important part of the dental hide. That to me, if we're going to talk about what element of the toothbrushing is the social justice warrior to me, it's yeah. really the floss. Yes. The floss really I'm gets in you. there and clears it out. And make sure that you're not being offensive with halitosis. Amen. So (laughs) if you head over to getquip, that's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash retrograde, right now you will get your first refill for free. That's your first refill for free at getquip.com slash retrograde. Quip, the good habits company. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's. So I think we'll just keep it like a bouquet today. Keep it tight. Keep it tight. Keep a bouquet happening. So Roses and Thorns, if you haven't ever listened to the show, first of all, welcome. Second of all, uh, it's the time in the show where we just talk about some things that we're loving, the roses, things we're not so much loving, the thorns. I personally am just going to keep it rosy today. All right. Let's hear it, kids. So this is my non-drinking drinking roundup. As I have, the last time I had any liquor was in December of 2019. The fact that you're not drinking during a fucking pandemic is literally, I did all of Whole30 and was like, well, the only thing I'm doing is Whole30 plus drinking because I'm like, I can't be alone and sober during a pandemic. Completely understandable. I don't know what happened. Something clicked and alcohol just no longer was appealing to me. So I'm just like riding that wave. There's really nothing else. I wish I could say there was this like big moment that occurred that led me to this point. I peeled your face (laughs) off of a non-gluten-free pizza pie and you're like, I've had enough. (laughs) Yeah, there was surprisingly, there was nothing like that. So, but I have been really exploring the world of fizzy drinks Mm-hmm. throughout this time. So I wanted to shout some fun discoveries out. First and foremost, Minna Sparkling Black Tea. Ooh, You're delicious. I, I didn't know about I that. I love you. It's wonderful. How do you spell? It's M-I-N-N-A. Okay. Sparkling Black Tea. Then I want to shout out Wave Soda, which is a sparkling water with a fruit base that also has caffeine. I very much enjoyed the mango flavor. There's another sparkling water brand that I discovered. It's called, I believe it's Sanzo. See, okay, so something that happens I've noticed is I take notes in my phone and then the autocorrect happens and sometimes it fucks with my notes. So that happened last week when I mentioned Jaren Lanier. I said Jared. So that's what's going on with the spelling. It can't be trusted. So I think it's Sanzo Sparkling. I've known this about you spelling. (laughs) It's creative. Blame the artifact, but we know it's (laughs) (laughs) And Sanzo Sparkling Water, Sanzo Sparkling Water. There's a lychee flavor, lychee flavor that really gets me going. Also, for those Canna Curious out there. There's a brand called Can Soda, C-A-N-N. Obsessed. It's really delightful. If I want to have a great night's sleep, that will be the thing I consume pre-bed. And I'm like in dreamland. Socializing. Like I actually drank one recently and was hanging out with friends and was like, oh, this is like chiller than alcohol, but Mm -hmm. like not really thinking about socializing, but I am, and it feels like fun and easy. It's a CBD forward, 
light THC delivery. So good. So and good. so I love that. Also, as we know, I've been doing a lot of kombucha exploration. And I really love GT's kombucha has a rose flavored. They call it a rose, but it has like a rose tea and like a rose water thing happening. Better Booch also makes a rose one. And then obviously Health Aid is just a great brand all around. Gin tonic kombucha makes a rose one too. That's like with honey and it's like fucking crack. Which one is it? Gin, J-I-N. Okay. They I have to check that out. It's so good. It's like made with a little bit of honey. Mm. It's just like, it's like a treat. And then on Shabbat, I will occasionally have a sip of wine and I discovered the most delicious clean wine that you can order online. It's called Wonderful Wine Company. And they have a a Malbec that is like exactly, if I am going to have a sip of wine, exactly the clean, delish flavor I look for. So I just wanted to shout it out. It's it's from their website. It's called Wonderful Wine. It is, this Malbec is from Argentina. And it's just really, they lean in on how clean it is and you can tell. And so I recommend that if anyone's looking for something light like that. A bottle that I can drink to my face. The whole thing. So that might be, that might be where it's at. So yeah, I, (laughs) and I also, I'd love to hear some suggestions. I'm still, I'm out here as in out here, meaning I'm in my living room. Mm-hmm. Drinking sparkling non-alcoholic beverages nightly. So, look, man, send me got, suggestions. Like, Enjoy where we can find it, and if yours is from Fizzy Drinks, I want that journey. For it you. is so joy-filled. How about you? I've recently gotten into mezcal, so it's in a completely different direction. Okay, but that's just my beverage of choice at night by myself. Uh, just drink, drinking mezcal, just calling everyone on FaceTime, like, who wants to hang out? Who wants to hang out? Who wants to hang out? Knocking on my neighbor's door, like, do you want to hang out? Like, girl, maybe don't drink an elevated energizing alcohol alone. But no, here we are. No, my rose is actually that. So I've been on this like detect journey, as I know that you have as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stopped Instagram personally in the beginning of Mercury retrograde. And now that's over and I'm still not on Instagram. I've checked it from my computer. I've checked my messages. So like I do see if people message me, which I think is cool because that's actually like what I like. Like I like to connect with people and have conversations and that's fine, but I haven't got, I don't have the app on my phone. I haven't scrolled. I haven't, I don't know what's going on on the internet. And that's been like, such an incredibly important like healing journey as far as like my not only mental state but just what I direct my consciousness to and what I choose to not only take in but also distract myself with because it's like it's so easy to be like in the scroll and you might feel uncomfortable you might feel vulnerable you might feel scared and then instead of just like sitting with those things, you like pick up your phone and you're scrolling and you like bury your experiences of discomfort into this thing. Yeah. And like not doing that has been so illuminating. I feel like I'm just like really getting into the cracks of things I haven't looked at with myself. And it's been really cool. Like and I've been reading more and like just being more creative because my brain isn't like zapped into the phone. And so but I knew that I wouldn't be able to just like do it by myself. Like I took the app off my phone, but even that didn't feel far enough. So I turned my phone and you told me that you were already doing this, which I didn't know. But um, if you guys go into the settings of your phone, there's a thing called grayscale in the color thing or whatever. I don't know. It's somewhere in settings and accessibility. And you can turn your phone to all black and white. And it's like, it makes it so that your phone isn't interesting to you. It's like the beginning of Wizard of Oz before she lands into Oz. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's like fine. It's like a fine <laughs> But like, you're like, if this is the whole movie, like I'm not watching it. Like, <laughs> and that's like what this is. Like I pick up my phone, I do my texts. I like 
do like the bare minimum that I have to do on my phone. And then that's all it is, is it's yeah. a fucking phone. I can look stuff up or I can get directions or whatever, but it's not like a toy. That's like a shiny thing that keeps getting my attention. That keeps pulling me out of the present keeps like, like, and now I hang out with people when they're, and they're, they have their phone and like, we'll just be talking and also they'll just pick up their phone and start looking through it. And I'm like, first of all, I know I did that a million times. And also I'm like, my question is, what are you looking for? What do you think is in there? That's not right here. Like, am I, it's, it's like, first of all, it's rude. Like, am I so uninteresting to you that you need to like quickly scroll your Instagram in the middle of my sentence? But it's also more of a commentary on the person's inability to stay present. And I, I say that about my own self. Prior yeah. To- it's a commentary on uh, us as a collective's inability to stay present. And I feel the same way. I, I too have, have been off Instagram and I'm not going to lie before we got off, I sort of felt like Instagram was at this point, or at least my relationship to it was like that point at the party where it's about to turn kind of like late night and druggy. And it's like, you can either join in and like stay up all night and feel like shit in the morning You're and like, question all your choices. Reason, or should I go home? <laughs> or yeah. you, yeah. Or you bow out early you go home, you get a night's sleep, a great night's sleep. You feel refreshed and amazing in the morning and can go about your day and enjoy your weekend. That's what the, that's what Instagram was for me. So at the moment, yeah, we're, we're still off. We'll be back. We'll offline this part of the conversation, but like I have been thinking about it and I think, and I've been talking to other people who have online businesses or brands as well. And like, and I pose this, you know, to the audience too, like, how do you run a business that partially functions online? Like we have a podcast, it's not a visual thing, but it's like, it helps us to share content and like aggregate yeah. different things and like elevate the story of the show to be on Instagram. So, but it's like, how do you do that as a business and as a brand without giving away all of your personal time, attention, power, creativity, mm-hmm. and energy to that, to this thing that's, it's an optional opt-in experience. Exactly. And that's what I've really appreciated about the time that we've taken away is because it's really activated, I know, for both of us and together. Some really cool creative ideas that, that we're going to be working on in August to bring to you guys. So so that's my rose. I I know it's just like hard. Like whenever I tell certain people about the phone, they're like, oh, I really need to do that. Or I don't know if I could do it. And it's like, just do it and fucking yeah. shock yourself at how much better you feel. Like I was with my friend the other day and she was like, I'm just like depressed and I don't know why. And I was like, I was like, honestly, tell me how much time you're spending on Instagram. And she was like, so much time. She's like, I mean, I have a business, so I have to, but then I like find myself just on it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, do a social experiment where you just only post your business thing, never scroll on and off. Like you do as little as possible and come back to me in two weeks and let's talk about like what you realized, if anything. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just challenge you guys to put yourself through that as yeah. well. Because I think the internet in this time where things are such, things are so unclear and all the information is so back and forth. And it's like, then you have activism with blatant narcissism mixing with uh, aggressive accusations, mixing with fear, mixing with getting sold stuff. It's like, it's just like a lot to take in. And I think that the energy without any of that, like the stuff that we're like getting as like a spiritual upgrade is like really intense energy also. So like clear your mind and clear your space from the chatter and see what arises, even if it's see just what arises. insane discomfort, because it will be that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what I've noticed is, and this is like a whole other episode that I think we could get into this, but like the mindless scrolling for me transferred into like headline porn. Yeah. And like going on Daily Mail and all of these like, you know, trash headlines that when it's like juicy and stupid, it's total distraction. And then like catching myself in those moments, I mean, like, what is that doing for me? It's nothing. Yeah. So like that, so like, you're creating that, your own reality. 
Exactly. And that, so I've, that's what I've noticed because it doesn't just go away. My brain is, has definitely still been looking for a distraction that's outside of myself. And so, you know, we're working through it. You can read, you can, you can, you can do other things. It's not about like, I'm not saying like go off Instagram and then become the fucking Dalai Lama and like sit in contemplation for the rest of your life. But I'm saying like, even if it's not being on Instagram and like making a Pinterest mood board for some idea that you have, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can still be on the internet, but it's like thinking creatively about the ways in which you do go on the internet because the only thing that's going to get us out of this fucking mess of the pandemic is our collective creativity. So stop giving it to fucking Facebook. Yes. Well said. Um, guys, I didn't thank expect you. to go on like a <laughs> Instagram rant, but here we are. <laughs> but honestly, let your creativity take you where it wants to take you. Yeah. And if that is a rant about creativity suckingness of scrolling, I'm here for it. Cut to me 2021, like doing like stand up, like it's all just like conscious pandemic stand up. It's good. <laughs> Fire tickets can't wait (laughs) can't wait for that drive-through comedy show (laughs) oh my god flash your lights if you think i'm funny (laughs) guys thank you so much for joining us today and thank you to alana um you can always check out our show notes on our website we'll have some resources from the conversation there and if you want to hit us up we're at hi at that's a retrograde.com we will be back next week Thank you so much. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Love ya. I'm Stephanie Sambari. Namaste listening. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.